Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast. Today's guest is one that I'm really excited about and one I've been waiting to get on the show for a very long time. Dr. Jordan B. Peterson is a professor at the University of Toronto and he got brought into the public sphere when talking about free speech in relation to a new bill that was getting brought into the Canadian legislature. Since then, he's become widely known for his YouTube and Patreon lectures, and his message of getting yourself together and doing something meaningful has been resonating with people around the world. His new book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, is out this week about that exact message, getting your life together and pursuing something meaningful. I have to tell you guys, this book is not a quick or an easy read. It's long, but it's good, and it's well worth the read. Sometimes the meaningful things are not always easy, so pick it up and sort yourself out. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys, if you want to support the show, head on over to impossiblegear.com to pick up the best gear for your next impossible adventure. It's the best gear to make sure you're comfortable while doing something uncomfortable and knocking the next thing off your impossible list. Now, guys, the Surgeon General requires us to warn all Impossible Gear customers that wearing an Impossible shirt may add 100% more adventure to your life. So if you get a shirt and get a sudden urge to want to start pushing your limits, fly down to South America and climb Aconagua, you've been warned. All right. Check out ImpossibleGear.com. Support the show. Support yourself and go do something impossible. A couple other things before we get into the show. First, if the audio is a bit different than normal, that's because we recorded this on video. And if you want to watch the video version of this interview, you can check it out at youtube.com slash impossiblehq. Also, we were supposed to go on for an hour, but because we recorded this on Tuesday, it was the same day as his book launch. So as you can imagine, things got a little bit hectic and we had to cut it short. But if you guys enjoy this podcast, let me know. We'll get him back on the show And we'll do an even longer sit down with him. All right, that's it for announcements. Let's go ahead and get into my interview with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. All right, and we're live with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Dr. Peterson, thanks for being here. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So uh, you seem to be making quite a few people mad lately, aren't you? Um, I'm making I'm making some people very mad, but I'm making more people more more people sane. So I think that's a price that's worth paying. That's uh, that's a good trade off. I've heard you. It's talk, a good trade off. I've heard you talk about that in the past. For. Um, my listeners who aren't uh, aware of you, uh, you've been really highly requested, uh, but for the people who aren't uh, aware of what you're up to and kind of what's brought you to the book and everything else, can you give people a quick background on, on you and uh, how we got here? Well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've practiced for about 20 years, so I've spent about 25 hours a week talking to people about everything you can possibly imagine. Um, ranging from murderous seriousness to lightheartedness. And, and I'm also a professor at the University of Toronto. And I wrote a book about 20 years ago now called Maps of Meaning, and, which was an analysis of arch- archetypes and belief structures. And then another one that just released today, actually, called 12 Rules for Life, which is a guideline to having a meaningful and a meaningful, honest and productive life. But not just a guideline to that, but also a deep discussion of why you would actually want that. Not because you should do it. 
sort of way, but because because everything just turns out better for everyone, including you, if you do that. And so that's kind of what 12 Rules for Life is about. I got, I got, I kind of rose to public attention, I would say, because of something I did 15 months ago. There was a new law that was being introduced in Canada that purported to extend um, human rights legislation in Canada to people of different gender identity or gender expression. But I read it as a um, the entry of compelled speech into the Canadian legal code. And so it was the first time in Canadian history where the government was legislating what you had to say. And I thought, no way, that's not happening. No one's legislating what I have to say. So I made a video saying that I thought this was an appalling piece of legislation and that there is no goddamn way under any circumstances whatsoever, no matter what, that I would abide by it. And that caused to call, it caused a firestorm of controversy that hasn't died down even a bit to this day. So <laughs> that's me. Well, that that took you up to uh, even just a couple days ago when you had the Channel 4 interview, which uh, uh, you were trying to kind of espouse your point of view, and she continued to kind of talk over and assume different things that you were saying, supposedly saying without uh, actually yeah, it saying was like, She was just putting was, words in your mouth. It was like watching someone have a conversation with their imaginary friend who they had confused with you, except, of course, it wasn't an imaginary friend. It was an imaginary enemy. So she was talking to her imaginary enemy. This and that is, happened to be me. But I'm not her enemy as far as I'm concerned. And so that's that's kind of a non-starter. So, so this is something that Scott Adams, he's the creator of Dilbert, talks about where uh, people hallucinate your viewpoints on such a, a different issues to an enemy that they think they're fighting against and just so my listeners know what some of these uh these 12 rules for life are you know from the table of context stand up straight with your shoulders back treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world pursue what is meaningful not what is expedient tell the truth or at least don't lie and there's you know seven other ones as well but the thing that I wanted to the reason I wanted you on here was my site my podcast is all about pushing your limits doing the impossible trying to uh reorder and rewrite the story of your life in order okay. to be something yep. more meaningful and yep. all of these things are really uncontroversial to me like they're like take care of your own stuff take inventory of where you're at and then go forward and people are getting really riled up with you and to me it's 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 common sense it's it's straightforward and it's stuff i've been talking about for the last five seven years yeah well i mean the funny thing is is that it's often what's most obvious that needs the deepest defense because you forget why it's true mm -hmm. and so what i've been what i tried to do with 12 rules for life was to lay out these rules and i i would say they're fairly straightforward but then to discuss at length and in as deep a manner as I possibly can, why it is that they're true. You know, so standing up straight with your shoulders back, for example, that's a good example. That's that's the first chapter. And strangely enough, it, it it's about lobsters or a large part of it is about lobsters. Mm -hmm. And that's an attempt to show that the manner in which we size each other up, say, and the manner in which we distribute respect is is based on neurological systems that are almost unspeakably old, a third of a billion years. So the lobster nervous system runs on serotonin, just like our nervous system does. And if a lobster loses a dominance dispute, 
it won't fight afterwards. If it, if it has a fight and loses, then it won't fight for a while. But if you give it antidepressants, essentially, then it'll fight again. And you think, well, so what? And, and the answer to that is, well, yeah, so what? It means the system in you that governs your own conception of your status is a third of a billion years old. And it has certain principles. And one of those is that people are much more likely to take you seriously and to contend with you if you, if you organize your posture properly. It's, it's fundamental. And you're more likely to take yourself seriously and much less likely to be victimized and that sort of thing if you stand forward confidently. And so it's a deep meditation on the necessity of doing that. I mean, your grandmother said, like, don't slouch, you know, but, <laughs> but there's a reason for that. It's, and it, it's a great practice of habit. I should tell you, too, something we should do. I have this program called self-authoring. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're interested in helping people find their best. You know, what I should do is uh, send you a code for your users so that they can have a discount. So we'll set that up, okay? Okay. We should, I've, we should figure out a code. I've done the uh, self-authoring program and I've done the uh, Understand Myself. And ah, the okay. interesting thing about the Understand Myself, I was going to save this to the end, but... Uh, we'll just go, get right into it. But the interesting thing about the understand myself one was when I took it, uh, this is something you talk about, uh, you know, the edge of, you know, free uh, order and chaos and pursuing a lot of times when people are talking about improving themselves or changing things, they're talking about going after freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where it's almost um, it's saturated. And how much goddamn freedom do you want anyways? Well, you know, Kierkegaard, when Kierkegaard was writing in Denmark um, 150 years ago, he said that he said even then that too many people were trying to make life too easy and that his goal was to try to make life more difficult because actually people people want some damn difficulty. It's like it's there's no doubt about that. So, yeah, so, enough so, freedom. Time for some responsibility and some load, man. So, so this is actually probably the, the topic I wanted to talk to you about the most was uh, rule number seven is pursue what's meaningful, not what's expedient. And yep. one of my pet um, theories is that human beings uh, – so I run uh, – I just finished running seven ultra marathons on seven continents, um, raising money for a charity, and I hate running. Um, but what I, <laughs> so, uh, so what's an ultra marathon, anything over, uh, 42 kilometers or 26.2. So any, I ran anywhere I between okay. 50 kilometers and hundred K. Um, and my pet theory is human beings need a physical struggle. There's a chemical release that happens when you're into that stuff. Uh, when you finish the races, uh, there's a certain feeling of accomplishment and, the lack of it and and you don't want to say life's easy because some people have hard lives but oh yeah that's for sure man but sometimes the lack of f the the physical ease like okay you don't have to struggle doing back breaking labor and actually like see a house built or something like that uh, but sitting behind a computer and not having connection to the work um that's something uh, Peter Thiel has this question, what's one thing that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on? And everybody's talking about four-hour work weeks, how to do things faster, four-minute abs. Um, and I, the thing I've always come back to is people want to struggle, but you want to have struggle connected to something larger. And I think yeah, that exactly. ties that's into exactly number right. seven, which if you want to talk about for a second... Yeah, well, that was the hardest chapter in the book to write. That just about killed me, that damn chapter. Um, but it's it's exactly that. It's Well, it's a description of the 
the live, I would say it's a description of the phenomenological reality of mankind. And I know that's a mouthful, but phenomenology is, is, I suppose you could call it the way experience manifests itself to you if you included your motivations and your emotions and everything else, your dreams and everything else into the equation. And the way reality manifests itself to people is tragic because we're vulnerable and limited and mortal and all of those things, and also touched by evil because terrible things happen in the world. And so, so that's the basic reality is that life is suffering and a lot of it is inflicted by by malevolent forces. It's not just tragedy. It's not just earthquakes. You know, it's it's concentration camps too. And so, and that that evil is not. The limitations are definitely in you. They're in society. They're in the natural world. But the malevolence is also in you and in society and in the natural world. And so, it's a pretty damn rough landscape to traverse. And then, but then the next question is, well, if that's the landscape, then what should you do when you're in it? And the answer is something like, well, the old Christian answer was pick up your goddamn cross and, you know, march up the hill. And that's actually a really good answer, except, except the answer is, e is even more sophisticated. It's pick it up voluntarily. Pick up your damn load. Like, life is hard. You've got things to do. Reduce suffering. Constrain evil. Those are your jobs. And it's hard. And what's so interesting about that and I think this is incontrovertibly true, is that if you do that, the more you do that, the more bearable the fact that life is tragic and malevolent becomes. It's like so now. So and I was so thrilled when I started to piece that together because I thought, well, what's ineradicably true? And I talked about this in Chapter 7. It's like, well, life is pain and there's evil. Those things are true, man. There's just no denying that. No one with any sense denies their own pain. So then, than that, and then you would say, well, what's truer than pain and evil is what defeats it, because it's stronger. Something mm -hmm. is stronger can defeat it. And then, well, telling the truth, saying the truth, living out the truth, and and picking up a burden, those defeat pain and evil. It's like, oh, okay, isn't that something? So yeah, pick up your goddamn cross and march up the hill. Don't be such a whiny, <laughs> pathetic. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's just there's nothing in it for you, man. Get at it. So, so one of the things that uh, I think, I think, you know, looking at this from a third party standpoint, I think one of the things people get upset with you is that you're just describing like the mess that we're all in. You're just you're kind of describing, okay, you know, okay, there's oppression, there's you know, obstacles, there's difficulties. Some people are have more difficulties than others, um, and then your solution is not. I think what people get caught up in is they want to look around themselves and they say, Hey, look at my, look how unique my specific mess is. And then someone else says, Oh, well, mine's a little bit different. And someone else says, okay, mine's a little bit different. And people get so caught up looking at their own mess. Um, instead of looking at the, the message of what you're saying is it doesn't matter what your mess is. Everybody's mess is going to be slightly different, but you can look around and figure out, you know, how do you get your stuff in order? And, um, you have something on... Yeah, well, people people are upset, I would say, that people who consider me reactionary, a word I'm not very fond of because it's a cliche, think, well, what about, what about the systemic problems we all face, the problems of large-scale structures? It's like, look, large-scale structures have their problems, but what makes you think you're in any shape to fix them? Mm -hmm. 
you know, the people that I've worked with, I've worked with people who have fixed pathological large-scale structures, like multi-billion dollar corporations. And the reason they could fix them is because they had put themselves together and they were formidable. And without that, they couldn't have done it. So it's like, yeah, you want to go, you want to go restructure the patriarchy. It's like more power to you, but bloody well, make sure you're the guy that can do it. You have to be a giant slayer to restructure the patriarchy, and you, you're gonna, you're not going to start, you're not going to start your victorious streak by fighting giants when you're a little tiny, like demented dwarf with no weapons. You're just going to get stomped, or you're going to do something stupid. So you got to. And so what I'm, what I'm not telling people at all that there aren't large-scale things to be done. There certainly are. I'm saying have some goddamn humility and make sure that you're not making things worse when you're trying to make them better. And also, it's not that easy to clean up your room. You know, like if you live in a house that, where chaos rules and every, every bloody room is a disaster and it's been like that for 10 years, as soon as you start cleaning up your room, you're, the nasty people you live with, the, who you call family, are going to be in there thinking, well, who the hell do you think you are? Like, you think you're better than us? You know, like, why do you think that's so important? It's just stupid. Mm -hmm. Quit it. You know, you're, you're getting above yourself because you're starting to make them look bad by your example. And so to straighten out your room in a situation like that, you also have to start fighting back against the most vile impulses of you and your family. It's not an easy thing to put a small place together. It's really hard. And you, you end up interacting with systems that are far outside of you in a way that you wouldn't expect at all. So... So one of the things uh, in uh, you have a, you have a section on the cocktail party by T. S. Eliot where uh, one of his characters is having a hard time and he comes to the uh, psychiatrist and says, you know, I've decided that all of my suffering is my own fault and I can't. I'm hoping she says it's a oh, woman. She says okay. I'm hoping I'm hoping that all my suffering is my own fault. So yeah, and the psychiatrist says, well, what the hell? Why in the world would you hope that? And she says, uh, well, I, as far as I can tell it's only one of two ways. It's either me causing all this grief and misery or it's the world. And if it's the world, I'm just screwed because what the hell am I going to do about that? But if it's me, well, then maybe there's some things I could fix that would start putting it together. And it's like, oh, I thought that was so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And it's, it's right. It's like, even when you're arguing with someone, I've learned this arguing with my wife. My wife and I have learned this. So, for example, in our relationship where when we got into a fight that we couldn't resolve, you know, and we're starting to hammer on each other and starting to try to win, you know, because you want to win the argument. You can't win an argument with your wife because you're going to wake up beside her tomorrow morning, right? You can't win an argument. You have to settle it. But sometimes it degenerates into winning. And we would we learn to go off into opposite rooms and sit and meditate. And And the meditation was, okay, well, I'm obviously, you know, having a terrible time with this scheming character that I've that I've hogtied myself to for the rest of my life. And she's clearly wrong about everything. And <laughs> I wish she'd just go away. But maybe I did something. I'll sit there and think maybe I did something like a little bit stupid in the last six months that made this situation worse than it had to be. So imagine I'm thinking it's like she's 99% wrong. That's for sure. But maybe I'm 1% to blame. And so that rule was you go in the other room and see if you can figure out where you're 1% to blame. And so then you think, okay, okay, last thing in the world you want to do, right, when you're in that kind of state of rage, victorious rage, think, all right, what did I do wrong? You think, oh. <laughs> and then it comes to you. You think, oh, oh, yeah, that was kind of stupid and weak. 
and you're kind of embarrassed about it. And then you go into the other room and you tell the person, all right, like, you're, you know, there's nothing you said that was right, but mm -hmm. here's something I definitely did that was wrong. And then she tells you the same thing and you think, okay, well, we're both pack idiots and now maybe we can talk. And so even, so, so even if, even if, even if you can see around you, assuming you're not deluded that most of the problem is outside of you, there's still a tremendous amount that you can fix by taking responsibility for even the small amount that you're adding and, and it's under your control. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good thing. It's so helpful. And I, I, I think that's the first step out of uh, when you're talking about like resentment and bitterness. That's like yeah. looking at your own things. And I actually had a friend. Well, it also it also makes you powerful. It's so weird because you think, oh, I'm a victim and all these terrible things are happening. It's like, yeah, yeah, terrible things are happening. No doubt about it. But then all of a sudden you think, well, I could take a small step in the right direction. It's like, oh, that means I'm the sort of person who under terrible circumstances could take a step in the right direction. I'm not so goddamn weak after all. There's more to me than I thought. And so that's a really salient. That, that's why I think the message that, that I've been, let's say, distributing has been so popular because I don't tell people, you're okay the way you are, man. Don't worry about it. I say, look, you're completely goddamn useless. It's like, like the rest of us. You could be way better than you are. And people think, oh, oh, I didn't think I was so great. You know, my life isn't what it could be. I could be more than I am. That's so good. That's so wonderful. So... Yeah, so that's really helpful. There was there was a quote that you had. Uh, I don't think it was in your book, but it was something. Uh, you're not who you could be, and there's an immediate reaction to something like that where people will take it. They take it as an offense, and they say, "Okay, well, yep. you know, you're you're insulting my potential or right, whatever." Exactly. But it's actually like it's a compliment. It's a compliment, and you're saying there's a lot more compliment. to you than where you're at so yeah exactly exactly it's exactly that that's the problem with the self-esteem movements it's like no you shouldn't be feeling good about yourself you should be feeling good about who you could be mm -hmm. and that's just way better it's because look if if you talk to, let's say you talk to a 23 year old guy and he's trying to get his life together and you say hey look you're fine the way you are it's like well fine i'm also just jump off cliff right now because there's nothing left to do and if you say instead that what the hell do you know you don't know anything you're not educated you're not sophisticated. You're full of bad habits. You, you've never taken any responsibility for anything. You don't know how to solve any problems at all. Like, there's way more than you, there's way more that you could be. And then the guy thinks, oh, well, now I've got something to do for the next 70 years. It's like, well, that's a way better bargain. So when you're talking about the, you know, moving towards your potential, there's the two different motivators. It's, okay, you know, who could you be? And then the other exercise I think you do in self-authoring is yeah. uh, who... If you did what sort of hell could you find yourself yeah, in? What, like, if you just go to your base instincts, and yeah. what does that look like? And if you want to talk about understanding what hell looks like for you, and then um, kind of ex just that exercise and then extrapolating from that. Oh, it's so helpful that because when I see people in my clinical practice, let's say they don't like their job, and they say, well, I'm afraid to 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 look for a new job. It's like, yeah, no kidding. You might not find one and you have to put your resume together and then you have to go get interviewed and, and you have to shake up your life. Maybe you have to move. It's like, it's, and then there's the devil you don't know. It's like, yeah, no wonder you're afraid. It's like, okay, fine. You're afraid and that's stopping you. The problem is you're not afraid enough. That's the problem. Let's lay out what you're like in three years if you keep this job. Oh, and they think, oh, Jesus, that's not going to be good. I don't like my boss. I'm going to be bitter and resentful. I'm going to be three years older. There's going to be less possibility. I'm not going to be making the money I have. I might even get fired because I hate the job. It's like, yeah, 
man, that's what you should be afraid of. And so in the self-authoring program, we, we, we uh, formalized that. We said, look, okay, use your imagination. oriented yourself that way but i bet you have a pretty good imagination for hell so fine take all your bad habits and your weaknesses and your resentment and then imagine they get the upper hand and you're in the worst place that you could reasonably be in in three years what does that look like everyone knows what that looks like man they know you know you know what that's like when you wake up one morning after you've been out maybe you've been partying a little too hard and you did seven stupid things that you regret and you're all hung over and feeling miserable and you think, oh, my God, this is what I've sunk to. It's like, yeah, no, it isn't. You can sink way lower than that. And so you just imagine what that's like. That'll get your fear behind you, pushing you forward. And that's unbelievably useful. I think I think that's one of those things where you mentioned the self-esteem movement and people talking about following your passion and doing all these things that sound really fun and kind of this surface level happiness and the thing that I was I've always come back to is the things that were really really difficult and almost miserable and like you're you know like you are you're 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 swearing against yourself you know in the moment of it those are the things those are the, both the accomplishments that mean the most to me those are the things where I learned the most about myself and then uh, the thing I always talk about is that's the edge of your limits. That's like yep. where you test yourself and then you yep. find out there's a whole new world past that. And when you can push into that, you, you, you don't do that by being comfortable, by doing the easy thing, nope. by staying happy. You do it by testing yourself at, to the point of failure and somehow yeah, well, you need a t-shirt. It. You need a t-shirt that says more difficulty. Well, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, because you that that – you want to be on the, that's the edge of, of order and chaos. You want to be on that developmental edge and you're on that develop, developmental edge when you're pushing yourself past your limit. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't have to do it to the point of breaking. But I, I tell you, one thing that's really useful at one point in your life, and this I think you should do in your 20s, is you should, put, you should push yourself past your limits to see where your limits are, right? You should work yourself to the point of exhaustion just to find out where that point is. And then you should back off because, you know, you want to live for 30 years or, or what, 70 years past that. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to argue yourself into the ground. But, mm -hmm. yeah, you should find out how much you can lift in, in metaphysically and physically. And, and this is for men in particular. Like women have a call to adventure, I think, now because they're, they're so encouraged to develop career and family. But men need a call to adventure. And the call to adventure is like, Get the hell up. Get out there. Get at it. There's things to be done, man. Put yourself together. So I, I think one of the reasons why your message resonated with me specifically was that was my story when I was graduated school. Uh, I had a business degree and all these other things, but couldn't get a job anywhere, couldn't get a call back from Starbucks, and sat around feeling like this, like everything I wanted to do. like all the I did all the things you were supposed to do, and everything yeah, seemed right. impossible. And yeah. then I've you know, the whole concept of the site and and the podcast and everything we're doing now is impossible isn't a it's not a limiting factor. It's not a it's not a statement. It's a challenge. And the idea is yep. you take these things, you put them out there, you aim for it. And then when it's done, you cross it off. So that's the whole point of the 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 site and the logo. And and yeah, seeing you well, articulated from you know, this is this is what Jocko Willink is telling his people, too. It's like quit whining, get the hell out there and do something useful. Because it'll be way better for you. I'm afraid all my people here are telling me with all sorts of sign gestures that I have to vanish. <laughs> so I should do that. Um, 
I will get my I'll get my son to contact you and, and get a code for your for your for your viewers. Okay? okay, we can do that right away. And maybe we can talk again in the future for a little bit longer. That would be good. Yes. Good luck with the rest of your launch. And uh, we'd love to have you back on when uh, things slow down for you. All right. Kate, Kate, really nice talking with you. And thanks for the invitation. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. So apologies in cutting that short a little bit. Things got a little hectic with his book launch and a major event that evening. But if you want to hear more, tweet the hell out of him and me. And we'll see if we can't do a much longer sit down in the future and really get into the weeds on some of this stuff. Also, if you guys want to do the self-authoring program, you can get 20% off with discount code IMPOSSIBLE. I'm going to be real with you here. It's a whopping $15 without the code. So one way or another, you should get it and you should do it. $15 to really step back, take a look at your life, and see ways you can improve. I did it earlier this year and it was incredibly helpful on clarifying some of the things I wanted to do and some of the things I needed to change in order to accomplish them. So check it out at selfauthoring.com discount code impossible. Also, he has another program at understandmyself.com, which is a personality test that can help you understand some of your traits and personalities a little bit more and things you can do to improve those as well. So I think that one's like 10 bucks. The cost here, guys, is really minimal. So I would really encourage you to check it out. Spend the money, spend the time. They're intensive programs, so they're going to take some time. So spend the time, improve yourself, get yourself sorted out, and really start to push your limits, okay? If you guys enjoyed that podcast, I'd really appreciate a rating and or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the podcast these days. It helps us reach more people and helps more people start pushing their limits. Also, if you guys want to support the show, check out impossiblegear.com. It's the best, most comfortable gear to be comfortable while doing something uncomfortable. If you want to push your limits and do something impossible, get a shirt and wear it as a reminder to keep pushing your limits. All right? If you're an athlete and you want to get stronger, faster, or prevent injuries, or you just want to stop hurting so much throughout the day, you need to do 10 to 15 minutes of mobility work a day. It's a really small investment that's going to reap big rewards. MovableApp.com is a mobility coach that can help you do just that. In less than 10 or 15 minutes a day, you can get stronger, get faster, and have less injuries just by doing mobility work. We built it to help you get stronger, to get healthier, and to push your limits. There's no such thing as overtraining, but there is such a thing as under-recovery. So make sure you're taking care of yourself. It's a free app to download and try. So check it out at movableapp.com. Last thing, our cold shower therapy winter challenge group is still going on. So if you want to practice getting comfortable while doing something uncomfortable every single day, take a cold shower for 30 days through the dead of winter. I'm taking a freezing cold shower every day here in Boston. It's really cold. It's not comfortable, but it is the best thing to change your mindset. Check out impossiblechallenges.com to join the winter cold shower therapy community challenge. People in there are crazy. They're getting after it. You can track your showers with the free cold shower therapy app. It sounds silly. It sounds a little bit ridiculous. It sounds uncomfortable and it is uncomfortable, but that's why it works. So change your mindset five minutes at a time. Take a cold shower. Join the group at impossiblechallenges.com and let's do it. All right, guys. So that's it for the show. I will see you right here next week, same time. And until then, Keep pushing your limits and do something impossible.